of facts to fight off the liberal gaslighting. You can be in the middle of a hurricane. You have sanctuary in the city of Chicago. Or you can be on a calm day. North is still north. You could be in a thunderstorm. I am angry. We are not going back. Not ever. North is still north. People can yell at you. The hell with the Supreme Court. We will defy them. North is still north. It doesn't change fundamental things. And in this business, right is still right, even if you stand by yourself. We don't get fooled again. No, no. Live across the fruited plain and from sea to shining sea, we are converting the Marxist left one hour at a time on the Wendy Bell radio program. Oh, hello, America, and beyond the fruited plain. Welcome home to the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Delighted, as always, to kick off another busy broadcasting week of common sense conservative values right here with you. Remember, little uh, little note for those of you who are new to the show. We do live stream on video the entire program. Wendy Bell Radio Network app, totally free, allows you to jump in, get access to all of our resources and support our sponsors and just be a part of the program. We're delighted to be with you. Also, our podcast, Wendy Bell Radio, wherever you get your favorite listening material. Uh, might want to download us as we march ever closer to one and a half million podcast downloads. Great to be with you guys. Let's get to it. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. I have a lot on my mind today, and I can tell that it's bothering me mentally and physically. Sure, there's a lot going on in the world. I get that. We have unfinished business in the House of Representatives. We have a president who is hungry to spend $106 billion of our dollars that we don't have. We have news coming out about the CARES Act money, how a half of that money, likely half, went to people who ought not have received it, people not in America. I'm I'm thinking Russia. In China, people there, what? All of these things swirling around. And it har- it's hard sometimes to get it all together and just to go through your daily business. But today, I've just got to compartmentalize on what's on my heart, what's in my mind. I was out this weekend just running errands. And it seems like nobody wants to work anymore. Anywhere I went and everywhere I went, there were long lines There were disgruntled customers waiting to check out. In my slice of the land before time in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they've decided to do away with all of those plastic bags that you would get at the store. And so if you weren't with the program, and I haven't been, you realize if you didn't bring in a bag, you have no way to get your stuff out, right? 
Just weird things going on. People muttering under their breath. Where is everybody? Stores, the shelves aren't stocked. The people who are working are angry. They're obviously doing like five people's jobs. And it hit me. This was the same story that that we were saying and feeling when I was graduating from college back in 1992. Such a difficult job market, right? Or there's not enough people or where is everybody? It's the same cycle all the time and I look at my oldest son Michael who's coming back from spending a a five-day weekend with my family and his next younger brother Jack in in Southern California coming home today and I know in my heart there is a very serious conversation that I have to have with this child of mine he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met if I tell you that he's the most interesting I would not be lying to you he is everything And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting for him to make a move, to make a decision. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? How is that? How is that going to take place? What's the plan? Because he's graduated from college and I don't see the plan and I, and I'm really stuck and it's on my heart. And so I look at the dysfunction going on in the world, right? How am I looking at my oldest son, asking him to be organized and to come up with a a strategy and to come up with a list of things he would like to do and then make a jump and try something and get out there. And the top of your resume shouldn't be the objective. The top of your resume should be, I will show up to work. Shoot, I would hire that individual in a heartbeat. I guarantee you, I will be here, right? Because everybody's just ghosting. We've got this lackadaisical, just nonchalance. And a generation of kids who's, who've grown up with devices in their hands and AirPods or, or beats on their ears, who text rather than talk, who don't make eye contact, who literally feel to me as though they are completely socially dysfunctional. That's not this kid of mine. He's... He's dynamite. And I'm, I'm waiting. What, what do you want to do? Try something. Try something. How do you convey that? Every single day, our sons watch us. They see my husband, Joe, who's a cardiologist, getting buzzed in the middle of the night, both Saturday and Sunday nights. Someone's having a heart attack. He's got to rush to the, to the cath lab. And, and try to open up whatever is blocked, preventing the blood from getting to their heart. I mean, talk about pressure, right? They see me every day up at three in the morning working, doing this work. And I just, I wonder, what are you, what are you afraid of? What are you not doing? What, what's going on? And I wonder, have I made it too easy? Have we worked so hard and we've tried so much and we've squirreled away and we've made the best decisions possible that we've created a life that's just a little too comfortable? They didn't have to work as paper boys like Joe did. Those, those jobs were long gone when my kids came of age. Yes, they had allowance. They did some things. But I'd be honest with you. I never made them do much. I always did it. I always found yard work to be cathartic. And so when they see me outside, it's not like anybody's got a a fire in their pants to come out and help me out. It's just mom doing what mom does. Did I create this? And that bothers me. Because with every single day, I feel like there is lost opportunity 
And and you can't say it's because they don't want to fail. They've seen me fail more than the average person should ever. I mean, for heaven's sakes, that can't be an excuse. And so today I'm wearing it on my face. I feel like I got punched in the in the middle of the night. My hair is all over the place. I feel bleh, right? Because I know this conversation is coming and I know how it ends. Because there's no way to talk to somebody who's already uncomfortable and doesn't know what they want, doesn't know how to go about getting it. Because the minute I open my mouth, we're going to be choosing sides. And I need that not to be the case this time. What do you do? How do you say that? Honey, you got to do it. You got to go do something. It's not got to be forever. Entry-level jobs are just that entry. You learn, you figure it out, you find something else out. You meet someone along the way, they open your eyes, they open a door, you make next move. That's the ladder of life. That's the circle of it all. And it's not going to be the best thing ever. It's not going to be the greatest thing ever. But we have a generation of kids who would rather not cook for themselves because it's easier to do DoorDash. Well, you know what? We didn't have that luxury. We had to learn how to cook. We had to learn how to clean. We had to learn how to change our own tires and change our own oil. We didn't buy clothes that needed to be dry cleaned because it was too freaking expensive. And now I feel like I've created this environment in which it's too easy. The bills get paid. And they're not paying them. How do you break that? What do you do? How do I even open that door? And I feel like I've failed. That's a terrible feeling. I'm smart. I'm honest. I care profoundly about people, even people I don't like. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I want everybody to have an opportunity, but by golly. Have I failed the same way I say that the people who have allowed this generation of woke and feelings and emotions and social justice and activism rather than actually taking action and doing something, doing something tangible that makes a difference, not bitching and moaning about how things aren't right, but taking action, stepping forward, being a leader, even if it doesn't work. How do you convey that to somebody? What do you do? I don't know. But I got to tell you, if watching our Congress do what they do, behave like children, not because we have an issue finding a speaker, but all the egos and the silliness and the childish and petulant comments that have come out of it. No wonder we've got a generation of young people who are spinning in circles. Look at the people who allegedly are leading them. So that is the lens through which I'm going to approach this day today. The news headlines. The stories that I believe we need to know about. Through the eyes of a mom. Who has to have a reckoning with one of her favorite people in the world to say. It's time. I expect more. You should expect more. So let's get this party started. I'm tired of waiting. Hey, Congress, that goes for you too. All right, so we've got some information on that. We've got to get out to you today.
Nine people now running for the House Speaker position. Nine, right? Who's definitely not getting in and who we want in? We'll see how you guys feel. Coming up next on the Wendy Bell Radio Program. I think part of my problem, too, here is that in our family, we are educated. All of us. And so it's a hard act to follow when you're a child who's coming up the ropes, the ranks of a professional and successful lineage. I think my kids are going to college or have graduated from college thinking that college was going to be the opportunity that opened all these doors for them. College is not that. I believe you don't go to college determining what you want to do. I think it's where you determine what you don't want to do. Right? I knew right away as a freshman forced to take some mandatory prerequisite geology class. I don't care about rocks, right? I don't care. You know, tectonic plates, you know, whatever. Fantastic. Okay, I forgot that the moment after I took the test. I don't care. Okay, whittle that out. More than that, though, college is about learning how to live with your own decisions without mom or dad telling you what you got to do, right? I need you home at this time. Make sure you do your laundry. Got to do some grocery shopping. And don't forget that test tomorrow. That's never been me. Like I've been through the fourth grade. I've been a senior in high school. I've graduated from college. I've done it. I'm not doing it again. This is on you. But now I've got a child who I want to tell. (laughs) You are so bright. You can do anything you want. Try one of something. Put together that resume. Go out there. Speak with human beings. You're so good at it. Push yourself. Don't be afraid. Get in the car and go to that, go to that interview. Please. Because you're not getting hired in my basement. And I love you and you're just wasting time. And it's too precious. Look, we've had two people in our family. Immediate family go through really, really scary cancer. And one's not out of the woods. And every day to me feels like the clock is ticking. We have a limited, not guaranteed opportunity to do something. And it's not even so much to make the world a better place. It's to make your place in the world. And I want to say to that son of mine, Michael, God, are you blessed. You are so talented. You are so smart. You decided you didn't want to do business because all that business stuff, the, the stats and economics just drove you nuts. Well, congratulations. You learned that in three months what you didn't want to do and you pivoted and you tried something else and you didn't know what you wanted to do. And I said, you know what? Try psychology. And people in the family were like, why does he, he doesn't want to be a therapist. Why does he want to go to be a, and I said, that's not the point. It's called exposure. Expose yourself to things. Open up your eyes and the doors. Every single one of us could benefit from some psychology classes to understand what's making everybody else tick and ourselves. Because by golly, if there's one certain in this life we have, we communicate for crap. 
I don't care what your business is. I'm in the communications business, and I will tell you, some of the worst communicators are in this particular business. It's unbelievable. The dysfunction because people don't talk, because nobody is communicating with what they want and how they expect to get it done, and then everybody's like, what? I listen to my husband come home from the hospital, talk about dysfunction in hospital settings. We're dealing with life and death and people who don't know how to communicate. It's truly a cataclysmic issue. And I wish every time I see a mom pushing her baby in the, in the buggy at the grocery store and she cares enough about germs to carry with her one of those things that creates like the barrier so the kid can touch everything as they're sitting in the front of it, right? And then she hands the child her freaking cell phone. Look, if your kid can't sit in a buggy at the grocery store for 45 freaking minutes without being entertained, you're creating the next generation of problems. Put down the phone. Take out the AirPods. Communicate. Stop texting. Freaking talk. Look at each other. Listen to one another. Help each other. It's not complicated. It ought not be. So I beg your pardon out of the gates here. Do we have important business to talk about? Hell yeah. But you know what? I think we've gotten to a point because we all text or we email. You know what I tell people when they need to get in touch with me? Call me. I answer my phone. But if you email me, it might be two weeks. I'm freaking busy and so are you. We got to write this ship, man. I'm going to start with my own children. Believe in yourself, Michael. You've got a dose of magic. Use it. Believe in it. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's where you grow. When you get all squishy and cozy and comfy, that's where you stagnate. That's where you stop innovating. You stop dreaming. You stop believing, creating. Be uncomfortable because we're uncomfortable every single day. Son, I'm uncomfortable. I have no idea if what I'm going to say on this program is going to resonate with you listening. I have no idea if it's going to make a difference. All I know is that I'll never be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because that's where we grow. That's how change happens. That's how revolution begins. That's how we start taking things back one neighborhood at a time. And by the way, one household at a time. Today, that household is going to be mine. And it's going to suck. And all I'm going to want to do is grab that kid of mine and squeeze him and say, I believe in you. Damn it, it's your turn now. All right, we'll get to this stuff going on in the house. Moments away. Thank you for letting me get that out. You're tuned in to the Wendy Bell Radio Program. Back right after this. So I'm interested in all these voices that are growing louder and more insistent that what we are witnessing in the House of Representatives on the GOP side is by some sort of, a, of an embarrassment, that we are embarrassing the party, embarrassing the process 
by having dissent among the members of the caucus. Some of the people are behaving childishly. I will agree with that. But I will not doubt for a moment that what we are experiencing is so important. It is so necessary. If we are going to ever change and we're going to weed out people who simply don't share our values or who've been too cozy for too long in their positions and they need to go and get new blood, we are witnessing this as we speak. That to me is the antithesis of embarrassing. It's exhilarating. Right? Did you hear Matt Gates? Friday, I think after our program, he said, look, we are willing, the eight of us who voted to oust McCarthy because we need to stop this out of control spending. We need to we need to stop this system of just passing the buck down the road, kicking the can further and further, because now we've gotten to a place where the interest payments on our debt are out of control and unpayable. And all of this while we have Joe Biden saying, no, we need more, more, more for exactly what this is. This is what we need our conservative voices in the House to be to be talking about. Right. So Matt Gates came out and said, look, the eight of us who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy, we are willing And this is a direct quote. We are willing to accept censure, sanction, suspension and removal in order to see Jim Jordan as as the Speaker of the House. If what these holdouts who voted in secret private balloting Friday to officially kick Jim Jordan out of the running, if that is what the holdouts need is a pound of our flesh, we are willing to give it to them. That is how seriously these individuals feel about change. You want to punish me to get the ball rolling? Fine, I'll be the sacrificial lamb. Let's get the ball rolling. As that is going on, House Oversight is still doing what it's, what it's doing. Jamie Comer, head of House Oversight, drops a bomb over the weekend. A smoking gun proof that Joe Biden got paid. And proof in a very fat personal check from his brother Jim and this is exactly the announcement that Jamie Comer made listen Biden said where's the money well we found some we're still digging into evidence subpoenaed from bank accounts belonging to Hunter Biden the son of President Joe Biden and James and Sarah Biden the brother and sister-in-law of the president A document that we're releasing today raises new questions about how President Biden personally benefited from his family's shady influence peddling of his last name and their access to him. Bank records obtained by the House Committee on Oversight have revealed a $200,000 direct payment from James and Sarah Biden to Joe Biden in the form of a personal check. Here's some important context about this check we've obtained in our investigation. In 2018, James Biden received $600,000 in loans from AmeriCorps, a financially distressed and failing rural hospital operator. According to bankruptcy court documents, James Biden received these loans, quote, based upon representations that his last name, Biden, could open doors and that he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections, end quote. 
On March 1st, 2018, AmeriCorps wired a $200,000 loan into James and Sarah Biden's personal bank account, not their business bank account. And then on the very same day, James Biden wrote a $200,000 check from this same personal bank account to Joe Biden. James Biden wrote this check to Joe Biden as a, quote, loan repayment. AmeriCorps, a distressed company, loaned money to James Biden, who then sent it to Joe Biden. Even if this was a personal loan repayment, it's still troubling that Joe Biden's ability to be paid back by his brother depended on the success of his family's shady financial dealings. Some immediate questions President Biden must answer for the American people. Does he have documents proving he lent such a large sum of money to his brother? And what were the terms of such financial agreement? Did he have similar financial agreements with other family members that led them to make similar large payments to him? And did he know that the same day James Biden wrote him a check for $200,000, James Biden had just received a loan for the exact same amount from business dealings with a company that was in financial distress and failing. The House Oversight Committee will soon announce our next investigative actions and continue to follow the money. The bank records don't end here. There's more to come. There's more to come. So he says something very important, and this puts it all to bed. If Joe Biden did, in fact, loan money to his brother, then there should be documentation of that. This goes to bed very quickly. You can put it to bed very quickly. Show us proof. You and I know that there's nothing Joe Biden has done in his professional or private careers, not writing books, not speaking, nothing of that nature, that would provide such a large amount of money to be able to be loaned to his brother. So you and I are left with one obvious conclusion. Look, James Biden's experience in healthcare seems to be as non-existent as Joe Biden's cash flow, right? But his value is obviously very clear. Promoting himself as his brother Joe's chief fundraiser. James Biden promised he could open doors and raise money from companies all around the world, including a major Turkish conglomerate. What is going on? But the promised investments never materialized. And I'm reading this from Breitbart.com right now. And this is very important. This healthcare system that was going under AmeriCorps declared bankruptcy. And then weeks later, the FBI raided AmeriCorps office in Pennsylvania as part of an investigation into white collar crimes. Can you imagine being connected anywhere near that, let alone as directly as a canceled check? Which, by the way, we've taken a screen grab of. And I just want you to see it on the screen if you're watching the live stream. There it is, $200,000 from Sarah and James Biden to Joseph R. Biden Jr. Note line says loan repayment. How are you going to explain that? One, they're not going to. They're going to slow walk. They're going to stonewall. They're going to try to run out the clock until finally Jamie Comer subpoenas James Biden and Sarah Biden, period. That's what's going to have to happen. Now, this is interesting because Politico in 2020 reported that this AmeriCorps had been plagued with legal troubles because of mismanagement. Investors and partners in the company have been sued over that management, alleging false promises and the misappropriation of money. 
So this is not at all surprising. Most notably, James Biden accused of fraudulently transferring funds from AmeriCorps outside of the ordinary course of business. In fact, in 2018, James took out over a half million dollars in personal loans from AmeriCorps. This is according to a former executive, which may or may not have ever been repaid. So the $2,000 check, that's one thing. What a wild coincidence, right? Well, you and I live in Realville, and we know that if you and I did that, we'd have the IRS all over us. But this is just the very beginning. Of course, despite Joe Biden's repeated insistence that his personal finance and his family's businesses are not intertwined, it is obvious now that they clearly are. Now, there's also inexplicable business ties to Iraq, to Saudi Arabia and beyond. Why was it that on November 4th, 2010, a longtime Biden family friend from Delaware named Kevin Justice had a meeting in D.C. with the then vice president? At the time, Justice was the president of a construction company called Hillstone International. A couple weeks after his meeting, Hillstone hired James Biden on as an executive vice president. Of course, James had zero experience in the housing construction industry. Well, what happened there? Well, it was very interesting that James joined Hillstone at a pretty fortuitous time. The firm was negotiating a massive contract in Iraq to build 100,000 homes. It was part of a 35 billion 500,000 unit construction contract from the U.S. State Department. The company's founder, David Richter, told investors at a private meeting that it really helps to have, quote, the brother of the vice president as partner. And for the years that James worked with Hillstone, the firm, quote, accumulated contracts from the federal government for dozens of projects, including projects in the United States, Puerto Rico, Mozambique and elsewhere. What? Mozambique and elsewhere? Yeah. Then on February 14th of this year, The Daily Mail reported James Biden admitted in legal filings that he was hired by Hill International, the parent company of Hillstone, to, quote, negotiate with the Saudis over a secret $140 million deal because of his relationship to Vice President Joe Biden, who at the time was leading delegations to Saudi Arabia. The case documents reveal that at least on two occasions, Jim had a former senior U.S. Treasury official working as a private investigator and that he was, quote, often sent to meetings to represent Hill because, of course, the Biden name didn't hurt. Jim's wife, Sarah, has also claimed in official affidavits that, quote, Joe and his brother told each other everything. But yet there's more. How about the shocking Ukraine connection? How about this? Despite being able to book gigs all over the world, thanks to his last name, 
James, like many of the Bidens, is constantly in and out of financial trouble. Somehow, he owed half a million dollars to the IRS in 2015. Amazingly, got a half million dollar loan from a Biden donor and Ukrainian-American car dealer named John Hanansky. We've talked about him. Three years earlier, Hanansky's company had received a $20 million federal loan to build a new dealership near Kiev, Ukraine. And for all of these deals, Joe Biden is in the room figuratively, if not literally. None of them would have happened without Joe. Now, do you want to tell me at all that you think Joe Biden, Jim Biden, and the Biden crime family syndicate is clean in any respect? Because if they had been, if they are, all of these allegations, all of these questions can be put to rest by providing the requisite proof. Right? And what have you not received? That's right. Proof that what they've done was legitimate. All right, don't go anywhere because it gets worse. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the house because we've got some Byron Donald sound to unpack for you. And it's coming up on the Wendy Bell radio program. I'm constantly amazed. You know, how is it possible that Joe Biden and these people in Congress think that we have hundreds of billions of extra dollars somewhere to send to a war, you know, in Europe and one in the Middle East? Where are you? How does that work? Well, you know, it's spending beyond your means. That is the entirety of the Biden family drama. The ultimate pitfall is, is first of all, a lack of natural talent, Right. And then secondarily, an appetite for spending, whether it's Hunter and his ridiculous expenditures for prostitutes and drugs and travel and expensive hotels and all of that. Or it's James. How do you get how how do you owe the IRS half of a million dollars? You just never pay. You never pay. And then somebody swoops in in the 11th hour and then you owe them. Well, us now. On the hook, we the people being on the hook for all of this is Joe and Jim Biden's repayment plan. You guys are the collateral. That's exactly what we're doing here. And if anybody out there is not paying attention, it's time in time is now to do so. Hell no. One hundred and six billion dollars, Joe. And hell no to every single member of Congress who's trying to push through quick, 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 quick. We need a new speaker. We've got to get this going. How about this Tom Emmer guy? I love that they're floating this guy around. Tom Emmer is so not the guy anybody wants. And now there's a coalition. It sounds like it's at least 15 House Republicans who were like, hell no. This guy's got like an he's no. He was he was paid in the early 2000s. You guys, this is the third leading in charge of the of the House GOP right now. Number three in charge 20 odd years ago was a paid spokesmodel by the Soros family to go out and to talk about the the benefits of the National Popular Vote Initiative. Do you know what that is? It's a program that essentially squashes the Electoral College and promotes this idea that we should be determined, that everything that goes on in this country should be determined by the elites who live in California and New York. Hey, Montana, you don't matter. Rhode Island, suck it. 
Nobody cares about you. Everything in between, you know, fly over America, where all the actual work that, pro- that provides the, the heartbeat of this country happens. This guy, Emmer, who some were putting, who Kevin McCarthy endorsed. What? You want a guy who took George Soros family money to push something as completely ridiculous as this? A George Soros initiative to squash the Electoral College. Why? Because if you actually have to to play by the rules, if every single man and woman in this country who's eligible to vote were to vote in such a way that could not be corrupted, whose votes could not be stolen by, by fake ballots, by ballot harvesting, by making changes because the machines are connected to the internet or any other number of ways by that midnight drop off on the loading docks by the water main break that wasn't if every single person who could legitimately and legally cast their ballot in this country could democrats would lose how are you campaigning on a on a society right now of undeniable struggle and suffering. We've got gas prices ticking back up. We've got people who aren't going to work. We've got prices out of control. We have young Americans who, good luck buying a house before you're 40. Good luck with that. We have a generation of college graduates who believe that Joe Biden should wave a magic wand, absolve them of their debt, which they agreed to, right? That they should continually get passes, that we should have a minimum wage that's exorbitantly high, and then we're all kind of looking around each other saying, no wonder people aren't, aren't coming to work. How can you afford, ladies and gentlemen, as a small business owner, to pay what is required now to lure these people in so that you can keep your business running? It is a cycle of perpetual suck created at the hands of Democrats. And it's perpetuated by the voice of Republicans who long ago stopped being fiscally conservative. Did you know, and I got to read you this coming up later in the program, we've got this California Republican Tom McClintock, okay? He has a fantastic liberty score. He's come out and written something very snarky against Matt Gates, who said, hey, if you guys, you holdouts, you don't want Jim Jordan, if you vote for Jim Jordan as speaker, you can censor me. You can... You can penalize me. Heck, you can kick me out. I'm that serious about this guy taking the reins. Tom McClintock came out and said some really disgusting things in a very sarcastic, syrupy, childish way and and exposed his true colors. And I'll read them to you. But as I'm looking at this guy who's got an A Liberty score, Tom McClintock voted to fund the war in Ukraine with $40 billion throughout Joe Biden's first term. He voted to pass the $1.5 trillion omnibus without, with continuing funding for vaccine mandates. He voted to uh, release dangerous criminals from federal prison, voted to squash debate on U.S. involvement in foreign wars. He voted to advance the monster $1.3 trillion omnibus of 2018. He voted to bail out the flood insurance program for another $36.5 billion. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not fiscally conservative, you're not conservative. We don't care what you're saying. 
We can't continue spending money we don't have. The chickens have come home to roost. And we believe we enjoy one individual who has a voice of reason. And his name is Byron Donalds. Is he going to get it? The Speaker Gavel. Well, you decide when you hear what he has to say next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network.